The first Dragon Age game is set on a continent called Thetis, which was just a development acronym for THE Dragon Age setting. There's no punchline. I just think that's cool. Welcome to Triple Click, where we bring the games to you. It's time for a gaming news roundup with our takes on COVID delays, Anthem Next cancellation, Harry Potter controversies, Google Stadia's troubles, and the latest Nintendo Direct. There's a lot to talk about, so let's get to it. I'm Kirk Hamilton. I'm Maddie Myers. And I'm Jason Schreier. And hello again. Hello, party people. Hello, fellow Triple (laughs) Click hosts. It is. I'm excited to talk about news today, but first, I'm going to break some news to the two of you. Are you ready? Are you ready for some breaking news? I am always ready. Triple Click is a listener supported show. Can you believe that? Oh, shit. I know. I've got the scoop. I know, usually, I know, Jason, you usually have the scoop. This is an exclusive. This is an exclusive. (laughs) We are totally listener supported by a wonderful collection of Maximum Fund members who. Become members of Maximum Fun to help us make this show and also so that they can get cool bonus episodes of our show and many other Maximum Fun shows. And actually, we did a drive last year. We'll be doing another one at some point this year. And they sent out the pins and the rewards for those. And I got my pins. So people who became members during the drive got their Maximum Fun pins. And it's a pretty cool pin. They're so cool. I gotta say. It's so cool. It's cool to have yeah. a pin with our show's name on but it. But there will be more pins next year. There will be. So yep. there's so mm-hmm. many good yep. reasons to be a Max Fun member. There really yes. are. So anyways, you can go to MaximumFun.org slash join to become a member. Thank you so, so, so much to everybody who has become a member. Uh, we really appreciate you. And you're making all of this happen. So yeah. yeah um, more news, though. There's some real news, and uh, Jason, I think you're gonna you're gonna take us through some news. Is that right? Yeah. So um, we know that our listeners like to hear us talk about the news that's happening in the video game world. We don't do this every week anymore, like we used to on our old show. But some once in a while, we'll do a big roundup and talk about all the news. And yeah. since there has been so much news over the past yeah. few weeks and months, um, I think that it's a good time to talk about it. Um, So we're going to pick a few big stories. Obviously, we're not going to be able to hit every single thing, but a few big stories that we wanted to discuss on this week's episode. So let's get to it, shall we? Let's do it. First of all, let's talk about COVID. I think that the impact impact (laughs) that COVID has on the video game industry and all of our lives will be discussed and felt for years and years to come. But one thing that I have been noticing and hearing and talking about a lot is that everything is delayed. And I think something that is interesting, like an interesting phenomenon that happened is that last year, a lot of stuff was able to get out on time or like relatively on time. And I think that was a lot of like front loading production and bringing people off of one project to help with another and doing some sort of short term or or sacrifices for the short term. And the sacrifices were in the form of 2021 projects. And this this year, mm-hmm. we are seeing it. Um, we've already seen all sorts of delays from all sorts of games. Um, we will almost certainly see more to come. Um, and I think it's really interesting to look at and to wonder about and like to see what this year is going to look like for the video game industry, especially when like games boomed so much last year. Um, so Kirk, I'm actually, I'm curious to hear your thoughts as someone who is no longer like following the data or no longer part of the day to day operations of games. Do you feel like, like, let's say this year is super thin. Do you feel like it's going to be like bad news bears? Are you going to be like, Oh no, where are all the games this year? Are you going to use it to catch? up on your backlog what are what are your your kind of overall thoughts on this trend it feels to me like it was actually surprising how little felt delayed last fall mm-hmm. and it feels like now we're kind of really seeing 
the the other side of that. And mm-hmm. I it, I think partly about like how hard it is to get a PlayStation Five. There's a great article on Polygon about mm-hmm. the sort of subculture, the whole world that has um, sort of sprung up this cottage industry of just people trying to get PlayStation Fives. And this is just one thing that's hard to get. It's also hard to get a new uh, 30 series graphics card, for example. There are a lot of things that have become hard to get. I told my own story about getting a PlayStation 5 and I got to kind of dip my toe in that culture. And I had I was following one of those Twitter accounts. It was really interesting to read an interview like that. You know, one of the people who runs one of those accounts that's just like, it's when it's in stock. That's what I do, and how much work that takes. Which the whole time I was following this, oh, I think yeah. the person who made mine was like a student. Anyways, <laughs> that, that's that's kind of a, a sub a side topic. But um, a lot of people don't have PlayStation Fives who want them. It's very hard to get the new consoles to play the new games, and even though there aren't really any games on them, that's kind of less of a big deal if not as many people even have the console as want one. So there's this kind of feeling that. There was almost a mirage of prog- of like things happening on time last fall and last summer, and that now it's become clear that there was way less. You know, at some point it, something had to give, and something has given, and mm. because of that, it's sort of, I guess I'm sort of okay with the delays because. I am just now catching up on PlayStation 5 games, and I don't have the graphics card that I would want to play if there were another game like Cyberpunk coming out, another major video, like a graphics video card uh, hog. GTA 6. So there's kind of a feeling, at least with the hardware thing, this is just one thought, I guess, but it's that the, the hardware being delayed also makes the game delays feel like less of a big deal to me, I guess, because I'm okay waiting because I'm not even going to have the thing that I need to play them. Yeah, I feel very similarly. Hmm. Maddie, the, I'm so curious. So as someone who used to work for a video game website for many years, as did Kirk, uh, speaking to you, the only person among us who does still work for a video game website. It's true, I do. I remember every single year. It's true, yeah. Guilty as charged. <laughs> I remember every single <laughs> year mistake. at Kotaku, it was like we would look up at the at, we would look at the upcoming release calendar and be like, okay, oh, yeah. like this game's going to get us a lot of traffic. This game is not. This is what we should be yes. like. And, and sometimes we would worry about like a really dry fall. I mean, we That's found other true. ways to like get good stories. Like we could still, it was not, this was not the only driving factor behind like what made the site successful. No, I know what you're talking but about. But certainly a factor. Is this yeah. like a concern for you guys at Polygon? Oh, sure. I mean, if, if I were answering this as a mere human who's enjoying playing Dark Souls for the first time in my life and actually enjoying <laughs> it and not having other big releases that I super need to worry about right now. Yeah, I think it's really cool. If I'm answering it as the senior games editor of Polygon.com, it's a huge challenge because yeah. we do not have big tentpole releases right now that we can rely on and a lot of the games that have come out in the past couple months i put together a winter preview for polygon um that we had to do uh, just as part of our editorial coverage and that meant that i had to put together and assign a whole bunch of stories about games in the winter and there's pretty much mario folks like i got (laughs) to commission a whole bunch of stories about games that honestly wouldn't ordinarily be covered at polygon which that's the kind of fun part is that i got to commission a bunch of stories about indie games and stuff that you wouldn't normally see covered as intensively at polygon which that's the good part about it um Mm -hmm. it it means that games like this uh deduction game nosha that i I just published a story about today from a freelancer which again it's a really obscure game that's coming out this week that i wouldn't have greenlit a story about but i had plenty plenty in my budget and in my editorial calendar to publish a story about a game that is 
not it's not a cyberpunk you know it's not a guaranteed mm-hmm. traffic driver mm-hmm. but it also means though that we've just had to change how we approach things at polygon i don't know how far mm. in the weeds you want me to get in the answer to this but it truly means that we've kind of created our own events like mm. we still cover breath of the wild a lot and it still does quite well because a lot of people actually bought a nintendo switch this past november that was the mm. best selling console of the year and a lot of people are playing that game for the very first mm-hmm. time playing very old switch games so a lot of stories that we have just about switch games do very well including super old games like a lot of just average people are in the same boat i am where they're playing dark souls again or they're they're checking out games they always wanted to play but never had the chance to they're still stuck inside maybe they just bought a new console but they're just now getting back into video games or or took a long break away from it or, or this is their first console ever and there's a huge backlog on that console for them to check out. And that's mm-hmm. kind of a fun way to approach coverage in video games and talking yeah. about them that is new and super different from the way we normally operate as journalists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is cool. Um, I should say, by the way, to an earlier point, um, Kirk, about how it feels like everything's coming to a head now. Um, I think what happened was last year, a lot of the games that were slated for last year were kind of in the latter stages of production. So they were like in testing, bug fixing mode, polishing mode. And I think that is easier to do mm-hmm. remotely and certainly was easier to do for people um, than, um, say, iterating on a feature. And so you're all sitting in a room and play testing and trying to figure out if it feels fun or if it looks cool or like getting feedback and blah, 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 blah. There's a lot of challenges to the whole remote thing that uh, that I think come into play when you're like towards the middle of production rather yeah. than towards the end. And that's Makes what sense. we're seeing so much of that now. Um, okay, let's talk about something else. Um, this was in the headlines last week. Well, really, it's been in the headlines all month. Um, at the beginning of the month, um, we reported at Bloomberg that EA was holding a meeting where they would review uh, the latest build of Anthem Next, which is the revision, the planned revision of Anthem that a team of about 30 people kind of fluctuated a little bit over the years, but about 30 people um, in Austin had been working on. Um, this is, of course, a overhaul of the much maligned Anthem, uh, which came out a couple of years ago. EA had promised this is not dead. This game is not dead. We're still working on it, still working on it, still working on it. Then they had this review, and last week they announced, sorry, everybody, Anthem Next is canceled. Um, turns out, as part of the same review process, they also canceled a game called Codename Gaia that was in the works at EA Motive, but like nobody has really heard of that or cares about it, so less interesting. But that was in development for like six years, so it is a, a little bit interesting. It's a game that, if you guys remember, executive Jade Raymond was hired to start making in like 2015. Mm. So this game had been through all sorts of development hell, fascinating stories behind the game, but less interesting to the greater public than Anthem. Um, what do you guys think of this whole thing? Manny, I want to start with you. I want to hear your take on, uh, on, on the demise of Anthem after all that. And after EA had kind of like, like led us all to believe that they would be giving this game a shot, giving this game a chance to, to, uh, uh, redeem itself. Do you feel like they didn't give it a chance? I, I mean, I think they gave it a chance, but just <laughs> not for long enough for it to survive. I, I mean, to answer a question with a question. They didn't give it the resources it need. I mean, yeah. so a couple of things happened, a couple of kind of reasons 
reasons here. First of all, EA blamed COVID, um, which is kind of a useful scapegoat for a lot of things. Like, for sure. example, if you're if you're Halo Infinite and your game is in serious <laughs> trouble and you need to delay anyway, mm-hmm. and you say and you look at COVID and you say, "Hey, guys, why don't we say it's because of COVID? Hey, we're delaying because of COVID." Oh, of course. But anyway, um, I think that it was a small team. Thirty people is not nearly enough to like overhaul a game of this size. They had ambitious goals of like really overhauling the interfaces and like the user the everything about it. I actually asked someone, hey, um, is there a way you could like implement all this stuff into the game and just like not let your work go to waste, even if it's not completely finished, just let people play it. And they were like, no, because like we started a totally different build and we would have to integrate it with the new build and blah, 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 blah. Basically, it would be impossible. It would take months of work. Um, so, I mean, you could say, I guess EA invested in it, but they didn't really invest. It was like one of those, it's like a half measure they did to mm-hmm. answer your question. Yeah, that was what it seemed like to me, which explains this predictable outcome, as sad as it mm-hmm. is. I mean, I, I saw a lot of different sentiments on the internet where some people were really sad and they were like, wow, imagine spending all this work on a game that was sort of in this always online service game landscape. And, and that's the kind of game that's almost impossible to preserve in the long term, because how would you go back and revisit a game of that kind? If you're working on something like that, you're basically consigning it to irrelevance in, in a few years or whenever the servers go offline. That's an inherently weird piece of art to be making. Mm -hmm. But the other half of that is that a lot of people who were excited about Anthem or or wanted Anthem to be good are are also just accepting this and being like, this should have happened because I tried this game and I did not like it and there was no saving it. (laughs) Like, I, I feel like I really saw both sentiments, like the mourning of it, but also the sentiment of like, put it out of its misery. You know what I mean? Like it's... It was not, it just couldn't come together. And maybe with enough resources, it would have worked, but it did seem kind of like a sunk cost fallacy to me. Mm. I say this as a person who, unlike you, has not done extensive reporting and merely reads it all. I don't know if people felt that way, but. No, I I think you're. I think you're spot on. Um, yeah. And I think that, like, like if you look at other historically successful games like this, well, No Man's Sky had a smaller team than 30, but they really stuck with it for the long haul, and, like, they were oh, all yeah. in on that game and didn't really have a choice. But Final Fantasy fourteen, I think, is the best comparison because with that game, they took it offline. They spent a year and a half, like, totally doing a total... Basically starting from the, the ground floor and, like, uh, building a brand new game from scratch. But that was, like, a team of, like, however many people. I mean, more of a triple A team. I don't know exactly. I don't want to make up a number, but like way more than 30. Right. Plus they have the Final Fantasy IP to back them up and you can just be like, this is a valuable property. Well, so that's one reason why they might justify that as opposed to something like Anthem where it's like the IP is just shot. Like it doesn't have any value because people just hate it. Um, Kirk, do you have any thoughts? You've been been quiet on this one. No. um, I mean... It's similar to what we already talked about on our episode about video game comeback stories. And Mm -hmm. I think it's just it's it's just like what you were both getting at, where a game like No Man's Sky, it had that central thing, that magic little thing where you got in your ship and you flew into outer space. And it was like it felt magic, even though the rest of the game was missing all this stuff and they could build on that. And then Final Fantasy, it had that thing of the Final Fantasy world and they could build on that. And Anthem just like kind of didn't have that i know people will say well it's fun some to fly people, around and yeah, shoot stuff i know like i it. know that they'll say that but come on like that's not <laughs> enough you both you played it like it, it it didn't have it it didn't have it you know that no. like i don't know what it is but you've got it i don't know what it is but that game didn't have it so it like doesn't yeah. really surprise me and yeah the sunk cost thing feels true to me too maddie mm-hmm. it's sad 
Um, I will say that I think that like the new, the the kind of new or relatively new people in charge of EA and in charge of EA Studios specifically, um, Laura Meal, I think that's how you pronounce her last name, for example, um, I think are very like, we want to listen to the players. And that's one of the reasons another big news story was the Dragon Age 4 once, um, as we reported on Kotaku a couple of years ago, once planned to be a service game that has been derisively referred to as Anthem with Dragons. Um, yeah. has, has <laughs> over the past year or so, I hadn't heard been, that. <laughs> pivoted. You you didn't hear that one? No, I hadn't um, heard that. That's funny. Yeah, that no, that's what, that's what it was described to me. It was like like there were the idea was like adventures yeah. with your friends. It was very much like the type. Yeah, of it's game like that, the opposite of Skyrim with guns in every way. It was like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> God, yeah. Um, it was very much not, like, the, the original visions for it were very much not what people would have wanted to play. But anyway, this uh, Laura Meal, a new executive at EA who's really running the show over there, has been going through and being like, this is what players want. Players want skate. Players want blah, blah, blah. We're going to cut bait on all these other big sunk costs, Anthem X and Gaia, and Dragon Age 4 is now single player, and it's like the type of RPG that people want. Um, although I should say, I think there's some resistance even within Bioware to making well, you know- Dragon for that I'll just say that I've definitely never heard of a game changing course drastically midstream and then having it be a problem. <laughs> like that never happens. <laughs> so yeah, I'm sure it'll be fine. Seems like it'll be fine. <laughs> well, <laughs> um, I guess we'll see what happens. I mean, we will. Like, I mean, we will. And I don't mean God, play Bioware, I mean. I, it's so sad because Bioware needs a success so badly after the yeah. last two games. And I like, like Dragon Age, so I hope it's good. I know. Yeah, me too. I, I really liked Inquisition. I want to replay that game and just like the thought of like having to see another game that's just failed and like having to go yep. back and do another friggin post-mortem about why it failed is just like I do not want to do like, that I am tired people I am tired of writing <laughs> yeah. these articles don't make Jason report on your game stop I, I want to report on a successful I want to write the yeah, story yeah, on yeah, how yeah. Dragon Age 4 like beat the odds to kick ass and like is this awesome game that would be a really great story too I would be so happy yeah. to tell that story Anyway, let's move on. Okay, so (laughs) speaking of games that um, might be beyond redemption, (laughs) so in the past week... In the past week, we learned um, that the new Harry Potter game, Hogwarts Legacy, on top of everything else, J.K. Rowling, um, has a producer who is a Gamergator, a pro Gamergate, maybe not, maybe didn't participate in Gamergate, but has expressed Gamergate sympathetic views, among other like anti-social justice, anti-feminist stuff, um, follows and interacts with just like a lot of hardcore Gamergators on Twitter, the whole shebang. Um, originally, it was reported that this guy was the lead designer. I think that's because because his LinkedIn said lead designer and he since changed it because he's actually just a producer. When this first came out, I actually heard from some people that like uh, this guy isn't really a lead on the project. He doesn't have like creative say over things. He's like a producer, I believe on Hogwarts, like on the actual Hogwarts. That's like his section of the game. So I don't think he's like someone who is making top creative decisions. Um, But that on top of like the JK Rowling stuff from last year and her transphobic comments led to a whole lot of just like show um resetera one of the largest video game forums decided to ban like all discussion and promotion of this game which is a pretty drastic move um and then this week we reported at bloomberg um 
that uh, the game will include trans-inclusive character customization. You can pick a body type and a voice and a, I guess, pronoun or gender type, witch or wizard, which like affects which dormitory you wind up with since at Hogwarts it's male and female dormitories. And you can kind of mix and match all of those. So you don't have to do like, um, like in Cyberpunk, your voice is tied to your gender in this game, mm-hmm. at least in the current version of this game, that will not be the case. Um, and by the way, this was a, a leak of developers to me. This was not uh, an officially sanctioned. I saw some people theorizing that this is like a PR, yeah. a PR thing, which it mm. was absolutely. I not. really wanted to ask you if you got that sense at all from the people who talked to you that they personally were like, "I just want to stand up for something I'm internally working on with regard mm-hmm. to this game." If that was the sentiment of the people that you spoke to, yeah. So the people that I spoke to are people who, yes, um, want the world to know that there are developers on that team who do not believe what the Gamer Gator does, who do not believe what J.K. Rowling does. And in fact, I mean, I've been reporting on this for a while. As in fact, last summer when J.K. Rowling first made those comments, I did a story on Bloomberg about how like there are people rattled by them within the company. And like it's really upsetting to be you have to sympathize here because a lot of these people signed up to work on this game years before J.K. Rowling was ever mm-hmm. like super public. And and there have been signs that she was she had kind of weird views on trans transgender people maddie you've been following this longer than i have sure but it's like you have to be very online and tapped into twitter and like people's likes and i am that person but i do (laughs) understand that not everyone follows every move of every twitter drama But most people didn't know about this Yeah, yeah most people didn't know about this until last june and like imagine spending two years of your life on this game that you're super proud of and then suddenly the shit show hits it is like devastating i can't even imagine how mortifying it must be and like suddenly this game that might be like this creator of this of the series might have views that you that are like reviled to you that like disgust you and you're still working on this game and you're proud of it and you're proud of the work you've done so it's a really crummy situation and i have no doubt that the the three of us will be talking a lot more about this when we get closer to the game's launch and when it comes out and we'll discuss how we plan to cover this game because it's got some uh some some tricky elements here but yeah. I just want to say, and then I'll throw it to you guys for your thoughts, that I think that the people who wanted this to be public wanted it to be public because they want to send a message. Well, actually, two reasons, I think. Um, and this is me speculating. I, I, I don't know for sure. But one reason is because they want the world to know, like, hey, we disagree with this. We're fighting for this game to, like, show our strengths. Um, we want Maddie and Jason to get a point in the triple-click predictions bet. <laughs> I know. Thank <laughs> goodness they are looking out for us. The other reason, I think, is because sometimes <laughs> when... Sometimes people will leak things. Developers will go rogue and leak things because they want it to be public so it can't be changed. And I think this is one of those things Ah. where there might have been some resistance, there might have been some internal arguments, and they maybe thought that if it all went public, then the game would have to stick with it because otherwise they would look like assholes next year if the game comes out and it doesn't have this feature but that's just my theorizing um yeah what do you guys what do you guys think of this whole this whole debacle Kirk, any thoughts <laughs> um yeah i read uh riley's article riley mcleod from kotaku our former co-worker who wrote i thought a good piece about just sort of how it's nice that the, the options that came out the character creation options are a nice step though they're not the whole story and that you know, living as trans in a binary world, especially one like Hogwarts, is its own Mm -hmm. complicated story that could be told by having, like, an actual trans character and, like, creating that identity more actively in the game than just having this not in the character creator. Which I believe may be the case, by the way. Yes, which he said, he mentioned, I think he was linking to your story, that Mm -hmm. there are people pushing for that at least. 
Um, and, and so, you know, it's a lot of this remains to be told. But I thought that was a good piece, so we can link it in show notes, and people should check that out because I, mm-hmm. I always value Riley's perspective, and it was it was cool to read what he had to say. Agreed. Yeah, Riley's great. I think part of the issue that Riley was getting at there, though, is that Harry Potter canonically is very binary as a story. Yes. Which, I, if you go the sorting back, hat. To, I mean, the Sorting Hat. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's very much like people are who they are. They mm-hmm. can't change. Morality is very black and white in those stories. <laughs> there's no redemption arc for Tom Riddle, folks. Like, there's some really concrete views that are expressed there. Well, which there's, there is Snape in terms of morality. Snape is complex, but is he, though? I mean, they're children's stories. He kind of doesn't. I mean, I, I've talked about this podcast, The Shrieking Shack, on this show before, and I would recommend it again. It's these uh, these two people who are rereading all of the Harry Potter books as adults, having been fans when they were younger, like mm-hmm. I was, and they're like investigating what the messages really are mm. in the books and like is Snape really as complex as he seemed when you were a child not right. so much as an adult is Draco really getting a redemption arc eh, not so much and like the way that you remember it as a child looking back on it as an adult you're like oh what what was J.K. Rowling really implying here and there are a lot of weird things about gender roles in those books as well which I think is yes. fascinating to look back on and really actually does fit with her current views in a lot of ways, like to have this very binary houses and and binary, like the girls' dormitories and so on and so forth. But it's hard to then tell a queer story within Harry Potter's world because Harry Potter is just not that way. I could go on a tangent about Dumbledore being gay. I won't. I I have a lot of (laughs) Harry Potter thoughts. This is not a Harry Potter podcast. I want to hear your thoughts on Hogwarts legacy. Yeah, I think it's really hard for these developers in this position. I'm not... Sure, it can be done. I That's a very negative way for me to put this, but it is how I truly feel. I don't sure. think you can make the game trans-inclusive fundamentally because the canon is not. There's no gender as a spectrum in, in Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. You could have a trans character who pushes back against that system, but that is the system that's depicted in the books. And in a larger structural sense, this game is putting money in J.K. Rowling's pockets, no matter how you slice it, J.K. Rowling is probably the most famous transphobic person in the world, as well as the most financially solvent transphobe in the world. And she backs causes publicly that harm trans people in the UK. And that is something you cannot divorce from this game until someday she passes away and perhaps the people who control her legacy decide to do something different with it. Like that's what's happened with Roald Dahl and his anti-Semitism and the work that's done with his his estate. That's a very different situation. But right now, J.K. Rowling is alive. She has a lot of money and she hates trans people. So like mm-hmm. it's, I don't know. It's an insolvable quagmire to me, you know? Yeah, like, it almost, it reminds me, it kind of reminds me of the Minecraft situation where yes, like, people who were working yes. on Minecraft probably had no clue that Notch was who he was and then he started saying things and acting in certain ways and he became this kind of reviled figure for, for good reason. And yeah, I mean, it's it's tough of being someone under that because like it's not like these people who are at, are at Avalanche can suddenly quit their jobs in the middle of a pandemic and be like, hey, I'm going to go find a job. Yeah. Elsewhere. It's not like they're going to go to the job tree and find a game developer job. So yeah. it's a really tough situation. And it's also like they put so much work into this that like J.K. Rowling has very little to do with. Like I'm sure she's has some, I, I don't know. I, I won't speculate because I don't know how much creative input she has into the game or anything. But like they are probably doing most of their work with absolutely nothing to do with her. So yeah, it's all just a very sad situation. And, and yeah, 
um, it is just, it's tough. I, I just sympathize so much with the people who are working on it and just disagree vehemently with her, like feel just as strongly as you do, Maddie, as all of us do. And just like, yeah, can't do anything about it. It feels like one of those big unsolvable problems where it's like, well, okay, what is an, an ethical huge company that you can work for? Like, I'm sure you can find like bigoted viewpoints at higher ups at other companies as well and be like, well, mm-hmm. this is another example of someone who's spending their money on causes you don't agree with. Should we not support this or that? And I, I don't know. If you think about that, it's like the most overwhelming thing in the world. Yeah. I mean, there <laughs> are people in game development. We tend to think of like this, this, this um, archetype of like the hardworking talented game developer who's like putting their heart and soul in the game and there are certainly people out there who who think that way but there are also people out there who think that way who or who think that like i'm just going to do my job as an, a concept artist or a designer or a programmer or whatever and i don't really care about the final product um mm-hmm. like i remember i've certainly talked to people who have worked on games that they're just like oh yeah i'm not proud of this game at all it's just like <laughs> a paycheck and a, an mm-hmm. item on my resume and like i don't give a shit um but that tends to be, I think, in, to kind of generalize a little bit, I think that's more of like the the people who are just like doing less creative stuff and might just be able to like detach that part of your mind as opposed to people who are maybe like doing design for the Harry Potter game or narrative for the Harry Potter game and they really have to like sink their heart and soul into it and be like, man, I have to write a Harry Potter story now yeah. in 2021. Like within the world of Harry Potter, which was created by J.K. Rowling no matter how you slice it. Mm-hmm. Like that's the part of it that's different from Notch in a sadder way because she's so inextricably involved in the world. Mm like she is still alive and she made all the books like she made every piece of lore she yep. has been involved in the marketing of it from the get-go and yep. therefore still views... adds lore to it constantly yes of course i mean to everyone's chagrin um i today today i as when I, after i was reporting this i remembered um her thing on twitter where someone asked her were there any jewish students in hogwarts and she responded oh. yes anthony anthony goldstein um <laughs> ravenclaw <laughs> Um, which is funny for so many reasons, but the thing that I think may be funny about it is that there aren't a lot of Jews named Anthony. Like, Anthony is an Italian name, and Goldstein <laughs> is the most stereotypical Jewish name. I've never met a Jew named Anthony, and I've met a lot of Anthonys. So it's so funny that she decided Anthony Goldstein. Like, maybe maybe his mom was Italian and his dad was, was Jewish. Either way, it's sure. funny for so many reasons that she decided, like, I'm going to make this, sh- this, this world really inclusive through Twitter <laughs> posts. Yeah. afterwards um mm-hmm. like declaring as you mentioned Dumbledore being gay and all this and yeah yeah um yeah. okay cool let's let's move on to some more news stories hey let's talk about something more fun let's talk about <laughs> Nintendo Direct um because a couple weeks ago we got the first Nintendo Direct in more than a year which is pretty cool um I think some people found it a little underwhelming but I I didn't think it was too bad I actually thought it was pretty cool um there was all sorts of stuff announced Mario Golf new Mario Golf games Splatoon 3 that's gonna excite some people Skyward Sword HD. Um, I think they're saving Wind Waker and Twilight Princess Switch ports for later in the year. Um, Project Triangle Strategy, which is like a, <laughs> which is That's like a, also on this list. It's a spiritual successor to Final Fantasy Tactics. Kirk, you're gonna love this game. Um, I played the demo. It's so it's cool. It's got triangles. 
It's got strategy. What, yeah. what more I don't know do you where the need? triangle. I maybe the triangle is like the the fire fire emblem. Like it's three factions. Maybe oh, maybe, maybe that's the triangle. Or maybe there's mm. like a rock paper scissors tra- strategy. I wonder if maybe it's there's like an earth triangle and a fire triangle and a water triangle, and you need to maybe. hit all the triangles. And then you get the air triangle. Maybe I was gonna say maybe it's the yes. 1990s Chicago Bulls and 2000s Los Angeles <laughs> basketball joke there for you. Um, but that game looks cool. Outer Wilds is coming to Switch, which is awesome because like I can get my wife to play it, and like lots of people who haven't been able to play an amazing mm-hmm. game will be able to play it. Um, anything else? Did anything stand out for you guys with the Nintendo Direct? There was no Metroid news, so I just Still no turned Metroid. it off and locked myself in a closet and cried. Isn't that, I feel like when a <laughs> when a when a direct is seen as being disappointing, it's just because there are known things. A new Metroid Prime. I know. It- I'm I'm kidding. For the record, I don't. I went in with no expectations of it. I I'm telling a joke about the idea of doing this. Oh no, but no, no, I also, know. Also, I maybe did it. But I think, but no, <laughs> that's a real feeling. Like I'm not saying that yeah. you necessarily feel that way. But I I do think I'm more saying uh, reacting to Jason saying that it was seen as underwhelming because I had the same feeling. That and then also like no Breath of the Wild two news. I mean, you come in with like these yeah. really high expectations about all exactly. these absurd projects that you think will be announced, but then of course like with COVID and so many other things affecting development right now it's like why would we expect breath of the wild 2 to be coming along swimmingly there's Mm -hmm. any number of reasons why it might not be but it's also i am actually kind of psyched that skyward sword is going to get a port that doesn't involve the motion controls did you two play skyward sword when it came out oh yes yep yep yep, yep. yeah yeah i enjoyed it it's it's become kind of love it but I would like to play it again without the motion controls. Yeah. That is my thought on Skyward It's Sword. become kind of like like um, uh, maligned because it's the it's it was the final game to follow the traditional Zelda formula that had just been repeated over and over again. But I think maybe people maybe after Breath of the Wild, now that Zelda has like broken free from those restraints, I think maybe people will reappreciate Skyward Sword because like the music is awesome and it's got some cool ideas and great dungeons and like like double hook shots all sorts of cool yeah stuff. <laughs> it has a cold following too like i i had never actually beat it but i know there are people out there who are skyward sword defenders and are like mm-hmm. i actually really like it and here are these characters that i think are great and people were tweeting about that and i was like i don't know who these characters are but maybe this time around i will meet Gruce. them and yeah, i will like awesome. them i do think that you're onto something with being it being easier to meet the game on its own terms after breath of the wild because mm-hmm. i remember tevis thompson's epic zelda critique basically Mm -hmm. used he wrote this big thing about how zelda has lost its way and uh the feelings that he got playing the very first game of like mystery and the game sort of just feeling like this puzzle box that he could figure out on his own and then he he used a lot of real-time data from skyward sword like how long that game makes you wait until you have any freedom at all like how Mm. many times it tells you what things do how long those things take how you, you really spend just a very long time in that game walking around and having little pop-ups be like this is a rupee like it's worth this many things which i know all the games Mm -hmm. do but um it's pretty intense if you're looking for the other thing and then breath of the wild is this huge corrective and of course also one of the greatest games ever made in my opinion um but i really liked skyward sword i really like the aesthetics of it you mentioned the music the music is incredible um it's like new stuff from koji kondo with this full orchestra there are these solo instruments that are associated with different characters and it's it really sounds great i mean it sounds better than most video games and it looks amazing as well it looked really good on the wii it had that kind of pastel watercolor Mm -hmm. look um but i think in hd it will look nice because i've seen those people will do those hd versions that they'll run on pc um that i remember luke plunkett would like 
like occasionally post about <laughs> and I would just sort of see videos and be like, that looks pretty cool. So playing that on a Switch with like proper controls sounds mm-hmm. great. Like I, I think, I do think that people will reappreciate that game um, in a yeah. sort of similar way to how they're reappreciating Super Mario 3D World. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Agreed. Um, yeah, and if you haven't played Skyward Sword, go and look up on YouTube Love Theme, uh, which is one of the tracks that is incredible. Mm, I know that one. Yeah, it's very um, nice. Yeah, so any other thoughts on the Nintendo Direct, or should we jump into a couple other things? No, I think that when people play Outer Wilds on Switch, that they should still play it on as big of a screen as possible. Like, it, mm. it's great that it'll be on Switch because it feels like a Nintendo game. It has so much Nintendo in its DNA. But mm. I think that that game really does benefit from... Like, you've got to watch the the solar system end on the biggest screen possible and really take in the visual <laughs> beauty of that game. But it's so yeah. good. I'm excited that more people will get to play it because it's one of the best games ever. Yeah, extremely excited. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, Mario Golf looks cute. That's all. It does, yeah. yeah. I'm sure that'll be fun. Um, <laughs> I really like golf games. There was a game called Golf Story that was pretty yeah. dope. That yeah, was, uh, Golf Story is great. I really just like video game golf games. Turns mm-hmm. out those are cool. Yeah, they're <laughs> yeah. fun. It is fun. Um, yeah, I think that like there's a good chance that Nintendo is saving some... Uh, obviously, COVID has affected everything, but I think COVID affected Nintendo a lot last year and and maybe like... Because la- it was a real drought of Nintendo stuff last year. I think mm-hmm. there's a good chance that Nintendo is saving some stuff for like some big guns for like Switch Pro reveal. And they'll maybe do a big thing that is like, here are all these games running at 4K on the Switch Pro. Um, and whenever mm-hmm. they do announce that, I imagine like them coming... Here's a prediction. This is not based on inside info or anything, but like... I imagine them coming out in like August and saying, hey, this September or this October, we're launching the Switch Pro and alongside it, Breath of the Wild 2 and like Breath of the Wild 2 in 4K and it looks incredible. And then they start showing some other new stuff, like a couple other things that maybe people have been expecting, um, like the Zelda Wind Waker stuff, Twilight Princess, or maybe like other stuff. I don't know. Just a theory. That would be great. Anyway. I hope sure. that that comes true. Why not? A um, couple more things. Dragon Age 4, we discussed, is going to be single player only, which is very good news. Um, Final Fantasy 7 Remake uh, gets a PS5 version that just got announced um, at a state of play by Sony that also had a bunch of cool indie games. Um, and more importantly, Final Fantasy 7 PS5 Remake, or PS5 version, comes with Yuffie DLC, which is hilarious because it's like, instead of just remaking the whole game, we're just going to have everyone come to Midgar so they're like now Yuffie's coming to Midgar well, they've already got Midgar ready in right, a box we made so they're just gonna put Yuffie mm-hmm. in there and it's yeah. fine yep. yep so she comes to like rob Shinra HQ it's really weird and they have some sure. like tie-ins to like other Final Fantasy 7 games they also announced after in the state of play Square Enix is like also some mobile games Final Fantasy 7 Battle Royale Final Fantasy yep. 7 entire game is being remade for mobile also in addition to the remake they're redoing the entire thing with like mobile sprites and stuff which is also incredible it really is one of those you get one thing super right and then a whole bunch of stuff that I'm not yeah, at all interested in <laughs> Damn it, screen. (laughs) But I will say so, something that's interesting about that is that. This is like, so this is instead of Final Fantasy VII Remake, which is more of a brand new game, this is like straight up taking the PS1 version, porting it with mobile graphics and like some new combat, I guess, and like putting it on phones. But they also redid the script. So do you remember we were talking, the three of us were talking last year about how weird it is that there's no way to play the original version of the game with like a proper translation. This might be the first actual version Mm -hmm. that is like the original game with a new script, which is pretty cool, actually. Um, Because that's something we've been hoping for. And like, if there's some way they could take that script and apply it to other versions of the original game, that would be amazing. So that'll be cool. Um, Just because the translation of of the original is so terrible. (laughs) Um, 
One more thing we should talk about. Google Stadia, the um, failed cloud Not service. Not quite RIP, but almost RIP. It was, I believe it was exactly two years ago, Maddie, that you and I were at GDC in San Francisco. We were sitting in a little oh, room. Oh, we were. You and I. We were probing Phil Harrison on Kotaku Split Screen. Phil Harrison, oh, of course. Right. People can go listen to that Phil Harrison yeah, interview that if they still want exists. to. Yep, it's still out there. He's the vice president of Google Stadia. All those promises that Phil made. He promised. We that. asked him multiple times, like, is this going to be, like, is Google going <laughs> to shut this down? Are you really going to invest in this in the long term? Because yep. Google is notorious for not yep. investing in things in the long term. Yep. And then it all went great. After and then that. it all went phenomenally. The game sold it. Incredible. The Stadia just did gangbusters. It it's changed the only the way all industry. of us play games. It's changed everything. Um, yeah, so the news was yeah. basically um, Kotaku, Steven Totel, our, our old boss at Kotaku, broke the news that Google was shutting down Stadia's first-party development. Um, they closed studios in Los Angeles and Montreal and laid off some, like, uh, I think he had reported 150, but I actually heard it might even be more than that. Um, so wow. a lot of people that, that got let go, um, Google is, like, trying to place them at other jobs within Google, but in, in all, like, in reality, they're let go, yeah. laid off. Um, and, yeah, I mean, Google Stadia is essentially saying we're going third party now, and this is such a such a pivot from two years ago when they came out on stage at GDC and said, we are the future of gaming. We're going to take on the Xbox and PlayStation. Do you guys remember they had that, like, that PowerPoint presentation that an Im- image of Stadia next to the Xbox and PlayStation was, like, the number of teraflops for each, and it was, like, <laughs> Stadia had 10 whatever, right, and right. Xbox and PlayStation had way less. Yeah, um, they wanted to be their own platform with first party games mm-hmm. that would yeah. be exclusive and that that would be why you would, would get Google Stadia. That's what they promised. They promised all these features, all these exclusive games. So you look at Phil Harrison, and this is the guy who was at PlayStation when they announced the $600 PS3, their worst console launch ever, then moves to Microsoft just in time for the Xbox One and that debacle of yep. an announcement and launch. <laughs> so this guy doesn't have a great track record. He comes into Stadia, and uh, I don't know if it was just him or the team surrounded him. I do know that he hired a lot of people who were like old-school console makers, and they approached Stadia's launch as like an old-school console launch. They were like, we're going to sell millions of units. We're going to package this thing as like 100 $30 product, you buy a controller and you get a Chromecast and you get the Stadia. And like they tried to position it as like, this is the future of gaming, as opposed to just saying, hey, we're going to put out a beta of this thing and like grow it over time and add exclusives to it. And like maybe it'll kick ass one day and people will be like, wow, Stadia is amazing. Like, I just think with that approach, we would have had, we might be telling a completely different story now. And that I kind of blame on marketing, but it might be semantics. It might just be the, the things surrounding the technology is, is the way to think of it. I, I, I'll occasionally see people like in our Discord or somewhere talking about playing games on Stadia. Like mm-hmm. there are people who use it and I know that it works. It's just, it's hard to kind of fathom what it was that caused it to fail. I guess that like, if it really and truly fails and goes away, we can do a postmortem then and get a better sense of it. Because at the moment, yeah. it, it's just a little hard to fully wrap my head around. So it must be noted that like something that is kind of meant for traveling, <laughs> there was no traveling last year. So Stadia yeah. did not really have much of an opportunity to succeed on those terms. But yeah. It wasn't that's just true. that, though. It was it was a huge scale marketing and branding issue where like... Yeah, that's what I the, think. Yeah. Who would it have ever 
appealed to. I mean, this is what we all talked about back when it launched mm-hmm. was who who is it for? And we didn't have a good answer way back on split screen then. And right. I, every now and then I check out the Stadia subreddit. I don't know if you all have ever checked it out, but it no. is yeah. just a wasteland and then a few super dedicated people who love Stadia oh, in gosh. just the most endearing way. <laughs> and that was my first stop after I read the news um, from Stephen. I checked it out and there was this really long thread of people being like, this is the death now. I'm so sad. I can't believe Stadia didn't catch on. Like there are some really yeah. strong defenders out there, but it's like 30 people. You know what I mean? Like it's not literally 30 people, but yeah. it's like it's not enough people and it's not even close to enough people. And that just I guess that makes me think that in this in some fundamental way this is a product problem. Like it's mm-hmm. just not the right product for the right time. For the right time, for the right market and anything. anything. I don't know yeah. if there is a way they could have sold it that would have made it work now. And the thing you said, Jason, yeah, maybe where there's a beta and then they let it grow and it becomes good and through word of mouth people start using it, which is yeah, but for right now it's just like it's not the big splashy product because mm-hmm. not enough people want that for it to be that. Mm-hmm. But that's the thing. I think if we had thought of it on totally different terms, like if we hadn't thought of it as like Google is entering the games industry, they're going to yeah. conquer the console industry, which was like what a lot of people were saying and like what they were saying. Including Google. Yeah. 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 Which is like such a very not Google thing to do. Like Google Google usually launches things in beta right, and right. like starts small for a very long time. And then just surreptitiously kills them a year Yeah. Later. And then they kill them. Yes. 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 Granted, Stadia could have very likely, no matter what, wound up on the giant list of things that Google kills, but I just don't think yeah. like I think it the the framing for all of us in the first place was like Stadia is taking on the consoles, and that came mostly God, from remember Google. that trailer. I'll never yeah, forget God. that trailer. <laughs> the one with Amazing. Reggie Watts, like the, the yeah, it was the one, one. it was like the tubes of the yeah. internet, like and it's yeah. this like unbelievably produced thing. It like is like looks like yeah. a Marvel movie, and I was like, what the. F- yeah. Like, what is um, happening right now? Two, two fun facts before we move on. Um, one is that these are things I learned while reporting for a Stadia piece last week. One is that Google missed their sales targets and monthly active user targets. Um, sales of controller and monthly active user targets, both by I'm hundreds sure. of thousands. They, they yeah. were so off on their controller targets that they produced way too many and had to give them away last year. They did like a literal giveaway of them. Um, Second thing, and this is the most mind-boggling, is that Google actually paid tens of millions of dollars to big publishers to put their games on Stadia. Like Ubisoft, they paid some $20 million or something like that. Capcom, they paid $10 million. Rockstar, they paid, or Take-Two, they paid $30 million. Some of these are numbers that estimates are, are, are but like they are about right, what, what they paid for these games. Um, that's wow. absurd. <laughs> like they paid what some, what some people like spend or like some actual triple A publishers spend on their games, Google spent to get games on Stadia, which is like shocking and mind boggling. Like people were just shocked. Developers they could were have given me one of those millions of dollars. Just, yeah. you know, I would have done something pretty good with it. I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, I heard afterwards that they like lowballed some indies or like ghosted some indies oh, yeah. too. So like Shocker. their whole strategy, everything about Stadia has just been a mess in so many ways. Um, all right. Why don't we take a little break and then we will be back with one more thing. Maximum Fun is a network by and for cool, popular people. But did you know it also has an offering designed to appeal to nerds? A show for nerds? On Maximum Fun? The devil, you say? It's true. It's called The Greatest Generation, and they review episodes of a television program 
for nerds called Star Trek. They've reviewed TNG, DS9, and are now reviewing Voyager. Hey, Star Trek. My daughter enjoys that program. Well, if she enjoys that, and she enjoys humor of the flatulent variety, might I recommend she subscribe to The Greatest Generation? Hey, are you calling my kid a nerd? Why, I oughta... Well, gotta go! Become a friend of DeSoto by subscribing to The Greatest Generation on MaximumFun.org today! Hi. Are you someone who thinks that when one door closes, another one opens? Someone who always sees the light at the end of the tunnel. If you answered yes to one or both of these questions, good for you. We are not those people. Nope. I'm Annabelle Gerwich, and I'm a, you know that other door opening? It probably leads to a broom closet kind of person. And I'm Laura House. When I see a light at the end of a tunnel, I assume it's a train headed right toward me. Laura and I have created a brand new podcast for people like us. It's called Tiny Victories. We're sharing personal tiny victories or things we've read or seen that inspire resilience. So if you're looking for a tiny reason to get out of bed each week, subscribe to Tiny Victories. Available on Maximum Fun or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get tiny! And we are back. Kirk, Maddie, it is time once again for one more thing. Maddie, start us off. Okay, so I wanted to talk about an article, a long read. Every now and then I do this. It's called Britney Spears Was Never in Control, and it's in The Cut. And it's written by Tavi Gevinson, who was the editor at this magazine called The Rookie when she was a teenager. Or was just mm. called Rookie. No, the. Um, and what was cool about that magazine at the time was the idea that she was editing it while she was literally 15 years old. It was like... Before Teen Vogue became as cool as it is now, it was like before that era um, mm-hmm. when it, when the idea of, of a literal teenager writing and, and managing a magazine was amazing and incredible to think about. And so she wrote this essay about this documentary that's called Framing Britney Spears. And this documentary, I have not watched it because I'm boycotting it, which doesn't matter. But the reason I am is because this documentary didn't talk to Britney Spears at all about her life because that's impossible to do functionally right now because she's been under a conservatorship uh, on the part of her father for so long, and as far as we know, isn't in control of her own life. But that's all speculative. And this documentary is about the circumstances of her life, mental illness, how she once was theoretically in control of her own career and public image, and over time got less and less control over it. And, and now we, we will never know what, what she wants to do with her public image. We can only, we can only speculate. Um, and, and, Ever, just to sort of about the public's obsession with Britney Spears as a person and, and ownership of her and so on. And so Tommy Gevinson had this interesting take on this as somebody who, as a teenager, thought that she had a lot of control over her own public image because as a teen girl, you want to believe that you do actually have full control over it. But looking back on it as an adult woman now... She's like, I really didn't. I was being taken advantage of by a lot of older men in my life. There's some really heavy stuff in the story where she talks about being raped, being sexually assaulted and pressured a lot by men in her life who were taking advantage of her. And what, how as a teen girl, she thought that that was something she was really choosing. But then looking back on it, she's like, actually, I was being taken advantage of by these other people in my life. And we can't really look at Britney Spears, even as a teenager, and be like, oh, she was in control of her career then, Mm. and we took it away. It's more like, no, she probably never had functional Mm. control of any of those things. And that's a really heavy thought, but I thought it was really cool to read what Tavi Gevinson thought of it as someone who wasn't in the same situation because no human ever has been, but wasn't an interesting situation just in the media world 
and and being perceived in a certain way as a teen girl. So mm-hmm. yeah, I recommend it a lot. Huh. Um, Sounds I'll read it. That makes me think of uh, Mara Wilson wrote a, a little yeah, essay she wrote for the about New York it Times. As well. which I thought yeah. was interesting yeah. as well. She's the she was a child actress in the '90s. She was in like Mrs. Doubtfire for listeners and uh, Matilda and a bunch of stuff, and is now just sort of this cool, thoughtful person. I know she's great on mm-hmm. Twitter and just a very smart person who who writes about how she kind of turned out okay because of her parents and mm-hmm. it is it her, I mean the subhead is I'm looking at it and it's like it's very similar to what you're saying it's like I learned the same lesson as Britney Spears growing up mm-hmm. when you're young and famous there's no such thing as control been thinking about it but I haven't watched the documentary either and I will totally read this article yeah I have a fun Myra Wilson story uh, I went to NYU at the same time as her she was in my graduating class and uh, one time Robin Williams rest in peace was filming a movie in Washington Square Park and so like a big crowd of students was gathering and hanging out and Robin Williams uh, and somehow Myra Wilson winds up there and Robin Williams pulls her up and and he's like my daughter and and they get they like gave each other a hug because oh, she was funny. his daughter yeah. in Mrs. Doubtfire Aww. Um, so fun story that um, was nice Okay, um, I'll do mine quick and then throw it to you, Kirk. Uh, my one more thing is Bravely Default 2, which I talked about a little bit last week, so I won't get into it too much more here. But I have an interesting dilemma that I'm going through right now. Um, so this game is really, really tough, and there's a lot of, like, it's it's really tricky to get through. You have to do some grinding. The bosses can be really challenging. Um, but now I got an early code from Nintendo, so I was playing it without the advice of the internet. But now, now that the game's gone public the internet has discovered it and found out all this cool shit that I had no idea about such as mm. one of the jobs the Beastmaster is supposedly really really overpowered and you can use it to break the game so I'm sitting here and I'm like trying to decide this this classic video game dilemma of like do I use this job class that is super overpowered and like essentially break the game for myself just to get through it or do I just like enjoy the challenge and stick with it and grind and like probably spend many more hours than I would be doing otherwise so it's essentially do I pick this cheat code to get through the game more quickly so to respect my own time and give myself more time to play other things or do I like play the game normally and challenging and probably spend 20 more hours with it than I would otherwise it's an interesting dilemma right it is isn't the question kind of if you're having to ask that question to begin with (laughs) um you know that something is wrong (laughs) like if if you have to (laughs) But if the game isn't fun enough for you to want to play it, that you would want to bypass it? No, but it is fun. I am enjoying it. No, but it's like, no, it's more along the lines of like when you have that option available to you, it's so tempting to use it even when you don't want to. I mean, it's sort of, it's like any game that has like an uber powerful broken weapon or something. Like in Demon's Souls, when I play Demon's Souls, I refuse to use magic because I know that magic is broken in this game and it lets you kill everything immediately. So I was like, I'm just going to play as a warrior and not even use magic. That That's more along the lines of what I'm talking it's just like different ways to play a game the question part of that is is there something else in the game that you find appealing enough that you would want to see and then use the overpowered ability to get to see it like the story for example maybe but the question is am i going to stick with it like the normal way and like would i enjoy it more would i feel more satisfied if i played through it the normal way that's that's more along the lines of what i'm i'll be curious if you are because i i (laughs) chelsea stark my coworker, did not care for bravely default Mm 2 at Mm -hmm. all and that is what polygon review states from her so i will i'm wondering if you're going to continue to enjoy the game mm. but of course you have different tastes than yeah she i'm does. excited to read a review she, i should go read a review yeah yeah i don't know i i think if you sent chelsea a dm and you were like should i just strong arm my way through the game she'd be like yes because it will be more tolerable <laughs> but i don't know if that's the right i do answer. know it's super long anyway kirk yes, what's your one more thing long. um my one more thing is spider-man miles morales which i've been playing now that i beat demon souls great video go game. me 
Yeah, it's really good. Um, I'll I I don't have a ton of thoughts on it. I haven't finished it, but I'm pretty close. I've been just sort of plan plan through it. How far are you? Um, I'm to where there's like a whole bunch of what are they called the underground? There's like three mm-hmm. underground bases I need to go to, yep. and I just um. I'm doing the side quest where I'm like helping people around Harlem, and mm-hmm. I just met with Spidey's crush, who's wonderful. Like the scene where he's doing sign language with her is really yes. great. Um, yeah, it's a just really charming game. I'm I'm playing totally for the story. It's a uh, playing it after FF6 and Demon Souls. It's striking how frictionless it is. Like these Sony big budget <laughs> games with like light RPG mechanics, but where mostly you just kind of glide through them, and mm-hmm. they're just pleasant. Um, I like playing it at 60 frames per second a lot. Um, the gameplay does feel better. The combat's a lot more fun. Uh, the cutscenes mm-hmm. are weird, and I don't think they look as good as they do at 30 frames per second. Um, there are just things that I remember seeing when I was playing on PS4. Um, Miles's friend Finn, her hair and her sweater, and his sweater for that matter. There's some amazing knitwear in this game, and at 30 <laughs> FPS, it looks better. It looks amazing. It looks like you could touch it. Like this, these knit objects just look beautiful and like substantial, and they're so well made. And at 60, it just looks more like they're video game characters moving around. Um, it just it has that thing. So that is, I was, I, I know I was going to report back on that because I had said I was concerned about that when I was playing it on PS4, and that is the case. So mm-hmm. um, they haven't quite solved that. Uh, the game's kind of giving me RSI, like in my thumb. And this oh, happens no. with uh, Arkham games too, games with this kind of combat, where it's mm-hmm. just a lot of button pressing, man. Like mm. you're just attacking and triangle, flying around and <laughs> punching, and it's just a lot of like, like, and the fights are these kind of drawn out, like really intense, really fun. It's a fun combat system, but I'm finding I'm just like, God, like, Compared to Demon Souls, which is so you know one attack block, like you're getting old, Kirk. Your your fingers aren't what they used to be. Yeah, well, also yes, I am. I am getting old, and my body is falling apart. That's certainly part of it. But I've noticed this for the past five years, maybe with this kind of game and with Arkham games, where I'm just like Jesus. Like, there's a lot of just hitting the button with your thumb. Um, Mm -hmm. So it goes, and yeah, our our bodies are horrible cages that decompose with us in them. (laughs) Um, And uh, and yeah, I, I I think that's a quote from Demon Souls. It is. It is. <laughs> that's the that's the real the real Demon Souls is being able to play Spider Man Miles Morales without your thumb falling uh-huh. off. Um, and I've also gotten swinging down. That's my last thought. Is that it's actually nice. fun to swing without always using the jump at the end of each swing uh-huh. Uh-huh. to just let go of the trigger and to just kind of get into that like just like you would swing. Like you don't always have to launch yourself. And you can do the tricks. There's so many cool tricks you can do in the air. Yeah, you do the the backflips and stuff. The tricks are okay. I kind of just like. You just swing the trigger and then let go of the trigger and then you grab it again and it like you're kind of not in a rush, you know, you don't have to chase oh, a car yeah. or anything. I know what you're talking about. It, it feels, feels good. really good. Well, so that's that's the thing that is so impressive at 60 frames a second is when you're swinging around the city. That's like I could do that. Yeah, the for... gameplay is is far far better at at mm-hmm. 60, no question about it. It's a good mm-hmm. game. I like it. I'm definitely going to finish it. I hear the ending is is really good and I'm excited to see it. Yeah, I think I'm on the last mission but never finished it, so I need to do that at some yeah, point get her done. in the near future. Um, Cool. Well, that is it for this week's episode. Kirk, Maddie, see you both next time. All right. See you next time. Bye. Triple Click is produced by Jason Schreier, Maddie Myers, and me, Kirk Hamilton. I edit and mix the show and also wrote our theme music. Our show art is by Tom DJ. Some of the games and products we talked about on this episode may have been sent to us for free for review consideration. You can find a link to our ethics policy in the show notes. Triple Click is a proud member of the Maximum Fun Podcast Network, and if you like our show, we hope you'll consider supporting us by becoming a member at MaximumFun.org join. 
Find us on Twitter at TripleClickPod. Send email to TripleClick at MaximumFun.org and find a link to our Discord in the show notes. Thanks for listening. See you next time. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.